Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Cricket with an Accent. This is Saqib Ali bringing another, hopefully another fascinating conversation. I'm very excited. Uh, I'll be talking to the true Harfan Mola, uh, Jamie Alter. No introduction needed. He's been around the cricket circles doing his thing. So I'm super excited to get this show on the road. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thank you, Saqib. Thank you for having me and uh, looking forward to our chat. Absolutely. So we have a lot, uh, quite a few things in common, you know, uh, I moved out of India in the mid-90s and have called Boston, Massachusetts home since. You were part of this universe for a few years. You went to school here. Then you had to, you know, uh, quit your job and go back to India to start your cricket career. Uh, just share some of those memories with the, the listeners here before we, you know, let's get warmed up with that. Uh, lovely memories of the, uh, the few years that I spent in the Boston area and around the Boston area. Just to let your listeners know, uh, my, my father's side of the family uh, has, has, has roots in New England going back many, many years. So a place like Boston has definitely been on my radar since a young age. Um, the few, uh, every few years, we'd go to the States for summer breaks. So a lot of those summers were spent uh, in, uh, in Boston. So it's an area, New England area, New Hampshire, Connecticut, uh, has been a region that I've been fairly familiar with from a very young age. So perhaps it was a natural progression that after I wrapped up college uh, uh, in the Midwest, in Ohio, that I sort of progressed up to New England where there was family, you know, and very openly uh, the chance to, to stay for a few months without paying money. So thanks to some very, very generous uh, family members. I started off in Reading, Reading, Massachusetts, which is up on Route 95 somewhere, I think so. And I would, I would uh, commute back and forth to Boston. I probably spent... Um, almost two years in, in the Boston area. And it was during those two years that I realized that this was not what I wanted to do. I was working for a financial uh, services company called Sun Life Financial. It was a good job. It was a good, what, uh, what we call a salary package out here in India. Uh, nothing really wrong with the job, but I just did not feel it was for me. Um, I was fortunate that I was playing some uh, weekend cricket with a bunch of uh, South Asians and expats, Australians, West Indians, so uh, I was in touch with the game of cricket. And uh, while I was there, I said, you know what? I want to go back to India and I want to see if I can switch careers and become a cricket journalist. So very much the, uh, the root of uh, all that was uh, the seeds were sown in those two years in, in New England, in Boston. Sure. I mean, I know there's an interesting uh, transition that I'll let you talk about uh, with the cricket journalism, but uh, where, where were you guys playing cricket and was it in the Boston area? Was it season ball cricket or was, was it hard tennis? Because hard tennis is also very popular in the New England area. So what kind of cricket were you guys playing here? We were playing hard ball cricket, but uh, when I first, uh, when I was first introduced to what is called the MIT Cricket Club, which was uh, a club formed by uh, MIT students. At that time, I'm talking about 2003, there was nobody actually uh, associated with MIT. It was a bunch of, um, I think a couple of them were graduates at MIT, but, but the name, the name had stuck. Uh, so when I first introduced to the team, they were actually playing on the campus, I think on a football field. Yeah, with, turf, uh, right? with a, <laughs> On the turf with a, yeah. <laughs> with a hard, with a hard tennis ball. I think it might've even been taped with the, you know the way the Pakistanis played. <laughs> it's so interesting. One of my friends who's been on the podcast, he's one of the, in our area, which is like 30 miles north of Boston. 
uh, he was one of the better cricketers at that time. So I remember it was a big tournament in MIT and he used to go there with MRI ball and taped and I think they won it. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I was not invited to play it for a small tournament, but yeah, I think that's probably the closest I might have come to even, you know, crossing paths with you. So that's such a small world. So Absolutely. So that was the first time that I actually saw uh, MIT Cricket Club. I think they were playing with the, with the taped up MRI ball. Uh, but the, all the cricket we played was was def- definitely uh, season ball, leather ball. We played. Uh, I'm forgetting. We played. Where's the the Patriot Stadium, Foxborough? Yes. We played two matches in Foxborough. We played one in Rhode Island. We played uh, one in the name is gonna come to me. The suburb with a lot of the West Indians. Um, oh, is it? Uh... Maripan or is it uh, Dorchester? No, it's off of Dorchester. Dorchester. Yeah. There you go. Off of Route Nine, Dorchester. I probably didn't play a lot because because I was working. I probably played seven or eight matches. Um, so these were the these are the places that I uh, that I remember playing at. And uh, good fun, good fun. Um, like you know, you know how it is. You're there, expats, Australians, Indians, Pakistanis, Zimbabweans, West Indians, playing cricket. A very very serious level of cricket. Well, it is. Yeah, to, it's the league is. I have to admit. And the league, the league which we were playing, I don't think we fared very well. It had a player called Donovan Blake. He was a West he, Indian you know, fellow. He's, he's, he's still there. I'm trying to get him on the podcast through, he's there. through a connection. So yeah. he, had come back, he had come back from playing for America in the 2004 ICC Champions Trophy. And uh, they got hammered by Australia, hammered by New Zealand. But this guy was sitting there watching one of our matches uh, on the sidelines of that park in Dorchester having a beer. And a lot of us was asking him, asking him about the uh, the experience of bowling to Gilchrist and all that jazz. Um, so that was another fun story from back in the day playing cricket in Boston. Wow, I mean we have a lot in common because you know I've gone to that uh, Dorchester field once because one of my friends he used to play for a club called Commonwealth. Uh, sorry, oh, I remember yeah. that name. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I think I so think I, I did. Yeah, I went to see the League uh, A final because it's like different levels of the league. So League A is the top one, which uh, you know is a given. So it's a big West Indian culture. Like people brought food and they were like small uh, stalls outside. And uh, yeah, Absolutely. I've never been there because it's a little out of the way. Uh, but yeah, that was a great, uh, great scene to actually see a small actual cricket ground in New England because most of these grounds. Mm-hmm. Now, I think uh, people here work out with the local... Cricket has grown, actually, since you left. I think I stopped playing in 2016 because I started doing this podcast and uh, it started taking a lot of my time for the weekends. But, uh, but yeah, I still go and watch my old team and they, they travel all over the state. Cricket has just grown. Uh, with nice. the soft, uh, sorry, hard tennis ball and season ball. They share the ground. I think 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. is... Uh, Hard tennis ball, and then 11 a.m. to 7 p.m., depending on you know the sunset, is your typical 20 over 40 over game. So wow, so right. a lot to lot in common. All right, so let's uh, roll the time a little back. I mean, uh, how, how did the cricket bug you know get to you? I know we all are from India. We all have our moment that match that we saw on TV. Your late father is a big big cricket fan. I've seen you know him talk about cricket on you know quite a few YouTube snippets. So talk about your you know. Your first memory of a great series of which you said, oh, you know what, I want to do this. I want to play this game. What, what do you recall? So my story Saki, was actually very interesting because you've already hit the nail on the head. Growing up uh, in a household with my, my late father, who was not just a cricket nut. He was an ultimate. I mean, if, if there was a sports nut, that was him. Um, 
I'll just, I'll just, we'll rewind the, rewind the clock back to a time when neither of us was born. When he was growing up in India, um, in, in the 50s, when he was born in 1950, um, relatives from the States used to ship him Sports Illustrated and Illustrated Weekly, these sports magazines. It would take about five months for them to reach India, but he kept all these magazines. Um, you know, so he, so his sporting, his sporting awareness started from a very young age. And um, it started with American sports, but growing up in India, he obviously played hockey and tennis and cricket. So it was perhaps natural that I was drawn to sports from a very young age. But I actually took to cricket a little later, um, as 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 fate would have it. Um, of course, I'm very aware of watching matches uh, on TV. I remember 1987, Bib Richards' last tour to India. West Indies were here. We went to watch him at the at at the Wankhede. Um, I think I was I was six. I couldn't tell you what was happening in the match, um, but I was very much aware of being in the stands in the packed stadium. And my father, he he leaned over and said, "That guy out there." And I'm like, "Which one?" I'm, I'm literally looking at 22 players. He <laughs> said, "That is," he said, "That is the great uh, Viv Richard." So that's one of my earliest memories is that. Um, wow. Then of course going with him to watch his own club matches. Probably I have a lot stronger memories of watching him play with his um, with his team. And uh, that was like a second family because I know all of them very, very well. Of course, the 92 World Cup, the memories of that are there. But it was not until the 1996 World Cup, and I've narrated the story to many, many people um, before. I had to leave the house of a, of a sports nut at the age of 14, 15 and go to boarding school to truly become a cricket nut. And I think my reading of the game is that because now I was able to sort of explore things on my own, with about 150 other boys of, of my age and thereabouts. And that was just a different feeling. You know, so 1995, 96 was when I just became a total cricket nut. And the 1996 World Cup was, I mean, I was watching every single game um, as a student in a boarding school. And we were playing cricket. Um, you know, we didn't, if you didn't have a bat, you picked up a stump and, and a table tennis ball and you played on a, on a, on a basketball court. So I sort of put my, my junoon for the game down to the 1996 World Cup. I was already 15, so it's not an age. It's by Indian standards, it's a very late age to become a cricket nut. Um, but long story short, that's, that's, how it, that's how I became this cricket fan. Yeah, that's uh, quite interesting. I mean, you're a few, definitely a few years my junior. I had left India. And that's the only World Cup that I have not seen because uh, satellite dishes were not available in US. Yeah, we saw the yeah. we saw the Ajay Jadeja innings against Pakistan. A VHS came, I think, two days later or a day <laughs> later. So we had to buy. It was not even rented. You know, the copies were selling. So we bought it for twenty five dollars to see the highlights. I had spoken to my friends back home how Jadeja took on Vakar in that you know match, and the rest is history. Mm. But again, going back to you know your father, I seen an interview uh, maybe a few months ago during the you know this. Uh, ongoing pandemic, I think a show called Guftagu, where he spoke, you know, very candidly about so many different things. And, uh, right. and then I think he mentioned something about his love for cricket, where he said, because that's the first half an hour will tell you how the ball will behave on the fourth day and fifth mm. day. And I've been watching cricket, you know, so long. I just, I'm not that kind of a fan who knows mm. how the ball will behave. So all these talk, even today, is so much fascinating for me, even when, you know, we have, you know, Crickways and so many stats going around. The game has modernized and is so sophisticated. But from a vintage fan's point of view, I think that was classic. 
So let's take a yep. deeper dive here. You said he used to play serious cricket himself. So was it like a film league or was it like a proper cricket league where he was one of the few players who was from the film industry? Uh, good question. So he, when he, when he came from uh, Mussoorie down to uh, down to the film institute in Pune, uh, while while he was there, he was already a very good uh, a very good school a school cricketer. I've I've only heard the stories about when he was young. Um, people said he had an action like Jeff Jeff Thompson and, and some pretty good pace. So while he was a student at the film and, and television institute, the Maharashtra state team was having their uh, state trials and i forgot the connection but i think he had gone along to play and the coach and the coach i think obviously this is a very different time where you could just walk into a net at that time of a ranji team and, and say hey can i have a bowl so i don't know the coach's name but the story goes that he says hey sure you can you can have a bowl and the coach said look if you put your mind to it you could you could go on to at least play at the state level um so that's one story that i've heard but after my father graduated uh, from fcii he moved to bombay I think in the struggling years, there was never even even a thought about playing cricket. That sort of came along much later once some once some stability came in the in his career and in finance. But the team that he played for was called the Match Cut Club, and it was exactly what you you were asking about. It was a film uh, a team made up of uh, film technicians, directors, actors. Everyone in that team was somehow associated with uh, the, the, the Hindi film industry. Uh, Nasiruddin Shah played there. Uh, Robin Bhatt played there. Um, Ashok Ghai, other names I'm I'm forgetting. Um, but they were they did not play necessarily other film team. I think they were the premier uh, film industry team. So they would play other universities. They would play other clubs. I can't remember what league they played in. But they were a very serious team which traveled across India. Uh, they used to go to the Andaman Islands once a year to also play. And I think once they even went to the UK on some kind of a sponsored, sponsored gig. Because I, when I was in the UK, 2008, I met uh, an expat gentleman who used to organize these matches. So it was to all, I mean, to all meaning of the word, it was a very serious league. And my father was playing in that league well into his 60s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, very, very, very serious, uh, serious cricketer. Oh, that's, thanks for sharing that. And you've planted a memory. I'm just, while you were talking, uh, sometime I get distracted. I was imagining Tom Alter with the slingy Jeff Thompson action. I mean, that, that would have been a sight. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you, again, you mentioned another favorite of mine, Nasiruddin Shah. Again, I mean, I'll, I'll act like a fan. I won't act even better. So what is Nasiruddin Shah's relation to cricket? He talks a lot about his fans, like uh, many of us a fan of Patodi and Indian cricket. So I'm sure you know the man well. If you don't mind sharing some of the funny, uh, you know, cricket history for Nasiruddin Shah or even Benjamin Gillani. These people were like, you know, uncles to you. But, you know, for us, these are like household names, including your dad. So if you want to go there, if you don't mind going there, I think listeners would enjoy that. No, no, I'll be, I'll be very honest with you. My my memories of the two gentlemen you just mentioned are actually outside of outside of cricket, especially when it comes to when it comes to Benji, as we call him. Um, he knows his cricket very well, but he's the first to admit that he's not a, he's not a cricket player. But... Nasiruddin Shah Saab, Ekto school. He also went to the boarding school system in uh, in in North India. So he played the game there. Um, he was also a very very good batsman, from what I remember. I've seen him play only a handful of times, Sakin. But uh, I remember him playing in the net. And uh, again, I was very very young, but he but he seemed to be a very very good batsman. Probably didn't see him in a match uh, 
after my teenage year because he got he got extremely busy uh, post uh, the success of Sridev in 80, 88 89 um but he would drop in now and then and and he said and he said my father yeah tom khelne ka to bahut mood hai but you know i'm just too busy um so while he was one of the leading figures in getting that team uh off the mark in latter years i don't think he would have played a game in the last 25 odd years um so i actually don't have too many cricket based memories of him um or, or any non story, or any non yeah go ahead any non cricketing memory because so hey um look <laughs> he he and my father and uh, and 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 benji they formed an, a, a theater group called motley um in the late 70s early 80s so a lot of my early memories are of these three gentlemen plus some others like akash khurana um and uh, kenny desai these five gentlemen having rehearsals at our place we would uh, i a lot of time at prithvi theater in the green room um again now that you put me on the spot nothing really stands out as such um they would come to mussoorie for vacations we once holidayed in the states together i remember we went and and had a meal at a pizza hut or a burger king and i just saw this guy who of course we've seen uh in the in film and on stage in a very relaxed uh, atmosphere but now i've just got one in the film junoon now there are three junoons one no, was I... the first one the first one based on ruskin bonds exactly so that junoon if you're I, i'm sure you've seen it if your readers and your listeners have or have not uh it's based on the on the mutiny 1857 ke aas paas my father plays a britisher surprise surprise uh who gets massacred by nasiruddin shah's character who's a who's a rebel in a church and uh clearly i was not supposed to have seen this film at the age of 4 or something but i did and uh, this gentleman who with his lovely voice who would bring me sweets and who was i sit in his laps on weekends while they rehearsed suddenly he just brandished a sword and he just killed my father so four year old or three four year old jamie was like yaar ye kya ho gaya and as a, another sunday rolled by not too long after this film had scarred my mind um the doorbell rings and as usual i run and there is nasiruddin shah who's come for auditions of waiting for godo or whatever the play was and i just burst into tears saying you killed my father you killed my father and the man was just mortified and then he had to he had to calm me down and he and my mother and then of course my father showed up about 5 minutes later probably with with the groceries or something um but seeing that man in three different phases in the span of a, a week was probably probably my strongest memory memory of him <laughs> no, that's that, that's quite wonderful thanks for being so candid i mean to a total stranger here but uh, so one more question you know all these guys you mentioned you know they were household names they were like you know your extended family so and you know you became a cricket journalist in uh, 2005 if i'm not mistaken so how, what yep, kind yep. of feedback you got from these guys you know because that's the feedback that matters the most because you know Uh, you looked up to them one was your dad then they are your uncles and you know and even people that i don't know like so how how were how was your cricket journalism received in your in your dad's film fraternity i mean they're all like cricket buffs but how did they see you as a new emerging voice who was expressing opinion through you know cricket columns of that's actually a, a damn good question sagam no one's ever asked me that question from that uh, from that usle hal se um i have only actually met nasir sir one time post my uh post my making the jump and if i'm not mistaken it was actually around the time i just joined 
we had all uh, we had all got together at the breach candy club back when we were members uh when it was a easier an easier time and he and ratna ji had come over and we were all lounging at the pool and i don't remember what he said but it was something i think he asked me oh, jamie aaj aaj kal kya kar rahe ho and i said i said sir i i just i just come back from the states he's like yeah i i think it was something like yaar ye to hona hi tha so all the best um that's the only interaction i had with him but agar hum baat kare benji ki uh, he's someone who i'm who i'm in touch with far more um so he has seen me uh, he read my articles and um, not a lot of them but the last talk we had about cricket was probably 2 years ago when we were together at ftii uh, while he was while he has uh, he he replaced my father uh, as the head of the acting department for 2 years after his passing so in those 2 years i've gone twice and uh, and that's when he said like i like i referred to earlier he's like yeah jamie mujhe itna cricket ka shauk nahi hai but uh, i do know that what you do the passion that tom had for cricket that really that really shines through in the few articles of yours that, that i've read and we're all very proud of you uh, and that literally uh, is the only two times that either of them have uh, have ever spoken about cricket with me um but beyond those two beyond the circles there are a few of his of his his colleagues um who have sort of been in touch with me now and then one is a one is a man called uh, bubinder singh who's uh, who's pretty famous on in the tv scene he's now a producer he also grew up in masuri he went to uh, st george's college and uh, i've seen him i've seen him from the first time he came to bombay to become an actor um so he's always say yaar i don't know how you have the skill to write again i'm trying to think of a few others names are not coming um because again to be very honest we don't come from the tradition like film family or film setup so i actually don't know too many people um from that line of work nowadays because i also left bombay um pretty much a year and a half into my cricket for my cricket for journey to be very to be very frank with you so how was your dad's uh, view of your writing because that's i think that the one that hit so oh, he, he was real he, he was, was a hero yeah he was thrilled he um he didn't say it in as many words but he was very thrilled when i told him that i'm coming back i think he sort of knew that um the way that he left india after graduating from the same school as i did and when he went to the us for college and he didn't complete college and he came back uh very disillusioned with with uh with the united states of 1969 and knowing that you know because both of us had to sort of go to the us to realize that we were not we were not from there so i think um he was not at all surprised that i came back and he was probably not at all surprised that i got into this line of work because once like i mentioned sake once that 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 bug bit me at the age of 14 i was you know i was writing my own imaginary scorecards and reports so it, it was not like i was just um, an avid cricket watcher i was also writing about the stuff i i had a blog back when blogs weren't even a thing and obviously i would send him all these all these make believe reports and some and some to my very basic level very serious reaction pieces that i would write through call it i would send him all this so he probably picked up um before i did that you know there's there's a link between this guy's fandom and the fact that he can actually put his thoughts down on paper so when i told him that i had been accepted by by sambit bal who he actually knew from um, from the non sport sports world many many years before he was thrilled and um, even until his last days on this earth he would say uh, can you just come in with some printouts of your recent articles so i can read them so very very proud as was my as was my mother of course Sure. So one more question, and then we'll get to Sambit Bal because you know this is very fascinating. So, 
So I'll do a plug-in of a podcast we did a few weeks ago with a bunch of friends. It's called Nostalgia Merchants versus Stat Merchants because today's cricket, mm. we talk about, you know, how, you know, the older generation, you know, always gets stuck in past and say, okay, it was the best time, the golden time, and now this is, you know, and we've seen our parents do that. So I'll just pose a question with my personal experience because I was introduced to sure. cricket through my dad. So when we were watching uh, West Indies' first trip to India in 84 after they had just lost the World Cup, you know, it was they destroyed India and everybody knows what happened there. But slowly what was happening was because my dad was an all India radio kind of a guy and he would listen to a lot of Kahal commentary. Mm-hmm. So he was teaching me cricket. He never had played cricket, but he was a big, big cricket fan, like classic couch fan, you know. So he was telling me Bedi had retired. He was telling me the Bedis, the Vardikers, the Patodis, you know, even, you know, other players like uh, uh, former great West Indians. Uh, we're just, you know, running out of a few names here. Uh, right. Wesley Hall and all that. So my my psychology or my cricket psyche was kind of, even when I was young, was an old soul that I always, even when I went to school, not try to show yeah. off my knowledge of the game. I was always, you know, mentally saying, oh, the guys from the previous generation were better because, you know, that's how a lot of this was fed to us. So with right, your right. dad's knowledge, did you feel something like this when you took on cricket? Was there knowledge that was passed on to you and then you run with it and, you know, you kind of have a soft spawner for the golden history of the game. Do, do you ever find yourself at crossroads? Because I talk to a lot of younger fans and their knowledge and the way they view the game is very independent than how I saw it. Mm. I'm always glorifying the past. A lot of people do that. Uh, but how, how, do you, how do you tackle this question? And do you find any, do you resonate with this? Like, did you have a similar journey? 100% I, I can resonate with that, Sakit. Uh, because it's only natural that, you know, if you are hearing stories of, of, of players from the past who you have not seen, but your father has grown up uh, watching and idolizing and modeling his game on. When, when you hear about all the test matches he watched across India and the journey that he would have made by on foot or by bus or by bike, it is only natural that you do come to not just respect the past, but you have a certain, a certain view of it. And it's a view which is obviously initially formed through the eyes of, of, of someone who you admire and love and respect, such as your father. And I'm sure you also understand this too. But then you, there does come a time when you go off on your own. And of course, this is the pre-internet era. But you go through, you go through almanacs and you go through cricket books. And you pick up VHS tapes and whatever it is, magazines. And then you start to join the dots to realize how great a Sobers or a Gavaskar or a Vishwanath or a Tony Gregg were. Um, but all that said, there does come a time when you start to shape your own opinions for better or worse, and that's when you come to that crossroads. And I have indeed been at that crossroads, not in the sense that the, the disrespect for a past player goes down, not at all. But then you see, you start getting into stats, guru, and the internet, and you see that there were a lot of other players with almost as good numbers. So why weren't they Why weren't they spoken about? So that happens. But again, that happens. Even that sakib is divided into the time when you're, you're just a fan and then when you're a professional cricket journalist. That's the time when you need to realize, okay, the past might be rose-tinted, but am I going to bring that rose-tinted view into, way, into the way I'm writing? And there have been a few times when I've been stuck at that crossroads, and I believe, in full honesty, that I've been able to separate uh, stories of, 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 of my father's nostalgia versus what is very much uh, the fact in my, in my professional career. But that lived in the subconscious, right? So when were you aware, like, okay, you need to, again, you work in the industry, so you were exposed to so many great cricketing minds. You then start realizing, okay, there's another way of looking at it, at least from my version. 
as a fan mm. who operated in a very small bubble of his cricket friends and i always was right. you know one of the more knowledgeable and you know as the famous saying is you don't want to be in a room where you are the most knowledgeable so my reality oh, yeah. quickly got exposed when i came on twitter and then say you know what it's okay to host a podcast but i i can't give views because i don't know as much as some of these other guys who come on my show the non professionals sure. like so so was there a moment like when you said okay what well, this is how the game is uh, what was the evolutionary arc what was that moment where it changed for you well i think to be very honest with you the fact that i that i joined trick info uh, a lot of a lot of the uh, what's the word i'm looking for a lot of the the knowledge that you that you are confident of suddenly goes out the window because now you are with like minded people but people who are perhaps even more hardcore fans than you or if not just hardcore were far more into the stats and into facts than you were uh, for various reasons so for me that was an, a a big eye opener but i'm glad it happened in the first couple of months of me of me changing countries and me changing careers because had it happened at a at a different age or a different time i probably would have been exposed i would have fallen by the wayside but being in that literally family of cricket info where everyone supported each other whatever shortcomings i had were were easily picked up and i was able to pick up in the sense that if i had a view of a certain player but not of like i mentioned earlier of the person to his left and right uh i picked up that knowledge from those who didn't know about the people to let's say sobers left or right and because i'm a quick learner i was able to grasp what they were saying so in terms of being a making the jump from a cricket fan and a very very serious one to a cricket journalist had i not been in the right company at that time perhaps i would have been stuck at the crossroads for a long long time and what i'm trying to say is that um and i know you have questions about sambit ball coming up um so i don't want to say anything before you ask that question but getting that job at that right time one of the first things he said was separate the fan from the cricket professional in you and your career will be on the right track all right so yeah those are nice words hopefully there's a you know young aspirant listening here and uh, they can draw uh, you know that's a great example and thanks for sharing that so okay enter sambit ball enter cricket info enter the internet generation so you were part of that so talk about how you got the job and more importantly what was it experience as part b of the question uh, with the new age writing because uh, there's a lot to ponder here for me so please start and then you know there's a follow up here sure so let me start with how how i got it i mentioned to you earlier that i was in the new england region in around the boston area i was homesick this was uh, just after the 2004 tsunami early 2005 um i was a bit disillusioned with with where with, with how the us was and where i was going with my life i want i was homesick um so when you're at that stage where you want to make a big change uh, the change is so big that you want to just take a risk so i hopped onto the internet which was still at a fairly advanced stage at least in the us as compared to india and uh, and i've been following cricket info since 1990 Seven ninety-eight, um, and uh, so I saw in the in the jobs in the career section that they were looking for young, energetic, uh, passionate. You know, all these words are often bandied about people for the news desk. So I I put together my CV. I printed out. I think I went to a Staples and I printed out all the copies of whatever I had written, be it for my own blog or in my own thoughts, as well as stuff that I had written to my college. a uh, college newspaper i think i'd written two match reports and a and a and a gyan piece and i took out copies of a4 sheets and i put them in three manila <laughs> three manila envelopes and i mailed them off to 
the Hammersmith London um, address uh, to the uh, Mahalakshmi Chambers Mumbai office and to the Anna Salai Chennai office of Cricket for these three places. And, um, and I said, uh, here I am. I'm this young 23-year-old uh, financial professional uh, who grew up in India and is now living in the U.S. I love cricket. I believe I have a passion for the game. Um, here are some writing samples. If you, if you see me fit, uh, let me know. And if not, thanks for your time. And I mailed these three things off, talking, thinking, yeah, who's, who's going to get back? Um, I was aware that the editor at that time, Sambit Bal, was someone uh, who had employed my father um, as, a, as a writer for a magazine called Gentleman in the 90s. Um, so I knew that obviously he's going to make the two names and he's going to be, okay, this is Tom's son. But I, did, I never saw that as sort of a boost or a jack, as we say out here, uh, in, order to, in order to get the job. And I never mentioned this to my father. I knew that he would never go and say, hey, uh, Sambit, uh, Jamie's applying. That would never happen, but I just did not keep that in my mind, and I did not inform my father. Um, Sambit being Sambit is very late to reply to things. He did reply a while later saying, hey, Jamie, nice to hear from you. I definitely see a spark in your writing. Can you come and meet me? So Sambit had seen the spark, but typical Sambit, he had missed the whole part about me being based in a place called Boston. Um, he thought, oh, Bombay mein hai, wo <laughs> so I said, Sambit, one small problem. We're now in the month of March. Um, and I'm not technically due to fly back to India until earliest uh, August or September. So if you can wait, great. He replied saying, I'll wait. No, no rush. I said, great. Uh, I did go back to India in September of 2005. I think on the second day, I showed up at the Cricket Info office and I walked in there and I met Sambit. Um, he had a very, very brief interview. He said... Uh, do you read Indian newspapers? I said, no. He said, great. Uh, do you have any formal training in media? I said, no. He said, great. He said, uh, are, are, are you willing to, uh, to come into this line of work and be, and be molded from scratch? I said, yes. He said, great, you're hired. When can you start? I said, what? He's like, yeah, when can you start? I said, Sambit, you do know I've just flown down from Boston. Oh, yeah, yeah, shit, shit, shit. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So when can you join? I said, so I've got the job? He said, yeah. I said, any letter? No, no, my word of mouth is good. You've got the job. I said, I'm <laughs> going to need something a bit more because I have to go back to Boston. Anyways, he said, you go back, you have the job. So I went back, Sakib, to Boston. I told my uh, my boss, the lovely Steve Stone. I, I knocked on his door. I said, Steve, hey, buddy, how's it going? How's the India trip? I said, Steve, it was good. Uh, and I'm leaving. I'm going to join Crick Info to become, a, to become a cricket writer. He said, that is bloody brilliant. All the best to you. So I packed up my stuff, I sold my car, I sold my flat, I moved back to, uh, to Bombay. And October 10th, 2005 was my first day at Crick Info. Um, I spent four years and about four years and six, eight months there. Uh, everything I learned, everything I am today is largely down to the time spent there with Sambit and people like uh, Siddharth Vedyanathan, Anand Vasu, Anil Nair, Sriram Veera, Siddharth Monga, George Benoit. Um, I learned everything there, and um, yeah, that was your question, right? How did how did I get yeah, to exactly? No, that, that, you, yeah, no, that the second question because all the names, not all, but some of the names right. have appeared in the podcast. It'd be Monga, Nagaraj Golapuri as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, he's on my radar. I just need to, you know, patiently request him through someone because we run out of requests. 
because I'm such an outsider and all these people are nice. But again, you were part of the internet uh, generation of writers and uh, yes, Crick yes. Info was owned by Wisden or, you know, uh, it became the new Wisden. So, so what kind of editorial uh, freedom was given at Crick Info? Because recent events, you know, with the George Dobell leaving, who again was a great guest on my show, like in March. So there's a lot of yep. noise at the fan front that, you know, the way his departure, like there is some freedom of, uh, being compromised. So what do you see of that? I mean, of course, you are removed now. You stopped working there in 2013. But uh, talk uh, about your day. No, I, left, kind of I left there in I left there in May of 2010. So I've actually been, uh, I've been, I've not been there for a long time. But I get, I get where the question is. And I'll be very honest. I had, I had multiple options to figure out why, why George left. I chose not to do it. Um, because I, I frankly, I just don't care what, what happened between, between him and, and, uh, whatever it is, I can put two and two together and I can assume. Um, but I have, and in fact, I was asked, Hey, Sunna, can you just go and figure out what happened? Can you ask Monga? No, I said, I'm not going to do it. Um, so. Again, no, no, sorry. So the- before, no, hang on. Sorry. I, I don't like to cut you off. I, I was using just that uh-huh. as an example, but I want to right, just right. compare, you know, like the, the freedom, the backing you get uh-huh, uh-huh. At, at a place like Crick Info to write about anything, or is there any, you right. know, uh, compromise? So there? I'm getting there. Sorry. So, so I'm ahead. getting there. 2000, 2005 was a very, very, very different time, not just in, in, uh, in, in online journalism, but in media, in India, in the BCCI. So things, the, the best part that I feel about my time there, beyond whatever I've just learned about, uh, what I spoke about um, in terms of uh, covering matches, being groomed, was that, and I'm being very honest, as I've been throughout the whole interview, in those four and a half years, Sambit kept us, and us, I mean the people doing the news gathering, the writing, away from, away from social media, away from tech, away from product. It, we were given, we were in a bubble. We were only just doing cricket news, be it doing scorecards for Pakistan domestic, Zimbabwe domestic, international. It was a very, very different uh, time. And I'm very glad that I got out at the time I did because I know enough people there, once, once the pressure of, of page views and clicks and video and Facebook, all that starts to get to you, the game changes. Now, I have gone through all this in subsequent roles after Quick Info. Um, and you have to understand, once, once Quick Info, in, in the very recent past, became a part of the Disney Star family, there's a lot of things which they suddenly cannot do, right? So, I, if you were to ask me how things have changed, I am, I'm not sure internally what is there. But the golden years of Quick Info, that's when I was there. And I look back often at how this site is, 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 uh, has fallen in many ways, quite frankly. And I, and I do feel sad because I know that um, what kind of pressures would be on a Sambit or even on a Monga or a Nagaraj to do things the Crick Info way, but with the pressure of so many external and internal factors. And I'm very glad and very grateful that those four and a half odd years that I spent, Sambit had the power and authority to keep us away from that um i hope i'm making sense here to people no, no you're making so much so much sense and you've but already planted but just question. going huh, sorry but just going back there was definitely an editorial freedom um which i know is is perhaps not there right now but again it's not there right now for very very obvious reasons and i don't have to agree with those reasons but i get i get where the where the wings are being clipped from from okay. many many angles 
All right, so we'll go two directions here. First, we'll take a personal experience of yours because of uh, now you are a digital media specialist and you are true, Arf and Mola, true all-rounder. You do so many things. You have your own YouTube channel. I'll put all that in show notes. I mean, I mean, I have a humble <laughs> following. Hopefully I can point at least one person towards your channel. Uh, but my question is, you, you know, like I spoke with Sharda Ugra and uh, uh, Ayaz Memon and some of the senior writers, you know, who are from the pre-internet wow. era and how the coverage has changed. But for someone like you and your generation, the guys who started in the internet uh, generation of cricket writers, how has so, the demands of writing changed within the internet years? How has the coverage changed? I'm sure whatever you learned at cricket, for you still bring that value behind the microphone or behind, you know, if you're writing a column. So, but how has that role evolved? Because it's very easy for an Ugra to say because you know things were different back then, or I asked to mm. say that. But how does uh, Jamie Alter's cricket uh, arc has, you know, evolved uh, because of changing demands on how social media has crept in and there are like cliches like there is like, you know, a small attention span going out there. But then we, we see the brilliant Amit Verma put out four-hour podcasts and people listen to sure. it. So so there's a lot going on. We put people in boxes, but how has the role of the writer changed in the last, say, you know, 16 years, uh, internet writer? I would even I would even shrink that down to the last uh, five years, Sakib, and say that it's become extremely difficult to be to be a digital writer in in these times, be it be it someone associated with a with a big brand or a big media house or a big sports website or even or even a freelancer. There are many many people um, who started out either at my time or a few years before. Who are today struggling to 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 make ends meet? That is because of the change, not just the demand, but the sheer uh, level that online journalism in India is now come down to. You can count, forget one hand, you can count on two fingers. Um, the the and I'm just going to stick to sports here because there's no point talking about non-sports um, since the whole topic of this podcast is sports. Where are the reputable sports? websites left you know uh, in the middle about six seven years ago there were a few that had popped up they've either all all shut shop or they've all had to compromise and, and do various things this is because Sakib, yes you you mentioned the the shrinking attention span but it's also to the rise of people with non uh, journalism backgrounds non-editorial backgrounds taking a majority of the shots right and i'll tell you exactly the time when i realized boss kuch to badla hai Excuse me. I was I was the sports editor for the Times of India online. Um, it was during the one of uh, after one of the IPLs, and one of the lovely people from a different department came and said, uh, "Sir, have you have you done the Suresh uh, Suresh Raina Dwayne Bravo story?" This time, this is when the Chennai Super Kings had been suspended, and uh, they were both playing for the franchise called the Gujarat Lions. And I said, "Sorry, have I missed something?" No, uh, Raina's getting married, and uh, and apparently on the menu he's put butter chicken because because it's one of Dwayne Bravo's favorite dishes. And I looked at that poor fellow, and I wanted to like literally like throw something at him. But I realized, okay, this guy's obviously come. I said, sorry, what? How is this my problem? Said, Sir, it's a it's a sports story, right? I said, and I was very polite. I said, no, it's actually not a sports story. I think this is. I do. I'm here to do serious sports news. I'm not going to do something about a butter chicken on someone's wedding reception menu. So please go and find the concerned person. I realized from the look on that poor guy's face that he had no clue where to go. 
So he waddled off and he came back within two minutes with the head of the news desk saying, Sir, you story not do this story. And I said, because it's not a sports story, you know. Um, but then I realized, that, are you going to fight this battle to the end or are you going you gonna to compromise and do it? So as it turned out, I had to get one of my guys to do it. Um, but from that day onwards, we started spending a lot of our time as, as digital journalists doing stuff like this. You Like, uh, why did so-and-so unfollow someone, right? Now, a quick info, because of the legacy they have, can afford to not touch these stories, right? A quick bus can afford to, to do it because um, they have a certain standing which has come because the Times Internet Limited has acquired them and they're very good at what they do. But every other Sasuke, any every other sports website in India or cricket website has to do these stories. And you've seen the proliferation, la la la, there's a tongue twister, proliferation of a lot of websites which have popped up over overnight and have huge following on social media. Are these websites where you and I would go to get our cricket news or knowledge? Absolutely not. But they're seen as serious, serious players in the sports business because their followership, their readership comes from these kind of stories. And this has virtually made it next to impossible for people like, like myself, like Sharda, like Anand Basu to, to do what we've been doing for, for so many years. How do I even join my name next to someone like Sharda? Who I've seen from from the when she was a cub reporter for I uh, for for Clayton Clayton Morzello at midday. So I I did not hear your the podcast with her. I'm gonna go hear it after we're done. Um, but they can give you a different window into all this. Now someone and I'm going back here to a very to a very important uh, phase that I mentioned when I made that jump. I was very certain Sakib, I do not want to do TV. I do not want to do print. I want to do to uh, do digital because this is the future. And 2005, it very much was the future. And I'm very glad that I did do that because if I'd been in the print line right now, I would have been far more disillusioned. And if I was in the TV line right now, I don't know where I would have been. So having seen these changes upfront, both as a junior uh, news editor, as a staff writer, and then finally as a sports editor, um, all this made me shape up, made me get tough, so if you want to survive, you have to do these stories. And I hope the point I'm, I'm making um, is, is heard by, by young listeners. I get asked a lot of questions. Sir, and I said, you need to become very, very tough. Because unlike, unlike 16 years ago, you necessarily may not be hired based on, on your writing skills or your knowledge of the game. You will be judged on the ability to do things fast, uh, to to pick up an Instagram post and to do a story because now the the end result of what you write is not necessarily quality analysis of whether the ball swings more because of overhead conditions or whether it makes more sense to hold the bat. It is now the the demand for cricket is moved beyond that. So I tell young people, do you want to write about um, how someone is unfollowed or how someone has more brand? endorsement all these kind of things and they often look at me blank just like that poor guy from the times of india's social media um department did so if i were if let's put it this way if 24 year old jamie was now sitting at uh, at at sun life he would definitely have not have got into this into the digital line of work in 2021 no i think there's a lot to ponder thanks for sharing that 
So look, I'm I'm older than you. Like I said, I'm an old soul, and you know, I still get very uncomfortable when I see ads. We we have a small website where we cover professional tennis. Me and this mm-hmm. writer called Matt Zemek, and Matt brought you know we don't make any money, but he tried to bring bring in some ads, and I just don't like ads on a digital platform. When I read an article, a lot of times when I click on a link that has more than few ads, I may not even finish the the full story. That's me. You know, but that's the right. world we live in where people, you know, people and, are con- uh, converting articles from old tweets of a Virat Kohli or a Roger Federer and, you know, there's nothing new, but see, someone creates to, an article. <laughs> I'll have to cut you off here. The ads, I'm, I'm not someone who's like living in a different world. I know ads are very, very important. Ads generate revenue and articles get done through ads. So the ad part of it is actually something very different. It's when you're trying to fool the audience with something which is not necessarily happened and this is something that I fought when I was fully entrenched in the digital Indian media scene until about two years ago when you're taking someone's tweet or Instagram post and adding on things which aren't there that's when the harm comes I'm okay with the ads being there but it's when you're doing things which are not actually true that used to really really get to me so I want to make that very clear that there's a difference between doing picking up stuff and doing what is what what is seen and trying to add some masala to get the clickbait sure. part out of it. Yeah, no, no I, I I didn't mean ad is bad, but I just said as an old consumer, I, I'm used to seeing a uh, clean uh, website page. I don't, you know, but that's how absolutely. the world has changed. And, and there are a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of hobbyists like myself who have taken this further, probably br- bring some revenue, you know, depending sure. on, you know, what kind of ad and what kind of traffic they get. So a sure. question on hobbyists, right? You know, I, I've been very fortunate, you know, I met Sidvi through, uh, I think uh, Ayaz, I, I'm forgetting the chain, but then, you know, I've had Prem Panikar and these people are so nice. They don't know me from anyone. They just, because I knew someone, they come here. Uh, same with Sharda. But uh, what is, uh, what has the independent voices, small voices like me, have they changed the space? I mean, coming from you, you're an established guy. Uh, it's not like a plug-in for myself, but there are a lot of podcasts like myself, young guys actually, who produce these episode after episode. So how is that new voice in the industry uh, has it leveled the playing field or, you know, how do established people look at folks like us and, and keep me away because to, overall scene, I'm not trying to like, you know, self-promote here, but how, how do the established writers, you know, who are writing for these uh, known publications and uh, big houses, how do they mingle right. with this new culture? How do you, you see, you know, the new voices that's, coming from a YouTube channel or a podcast channel? That's a very, very good question, Sakil. I can, I can speak from my experience and also the experience of, of having had uh, chats along the similar lines with people who are, who are still very much doing the same kind of thing that I do, perhaps even more so because they're all, uh, yeah, I think they're all except for one are actually still with major media houses. This is one of the great things about this whole digital boom is that uh, people like yourself and even a Sidby who for many, many years was firmly entrenched uh, in, the, in the cricket media can now have podcasts. And I think it's fascinating because while initially there was this view, who's this person doing it, you know, like from their basement. But the more you do it, and the more you stick to it, you know, um, along with it comes, comes credibility, comes a voice. And obviously, if, if someone like you or, or someone like uh, Subhash Jairaman gets, gets um, experienced journalists on their podcast and players, be a former current, obviously that, that just takes you to a whole different level. But I'm not even getting to that, to that point. I'm saying the fact that you... Uh, have the space to do things to speak your view this is and i'm I, and i can speak from the experience of having this talk with literally four other people 
which is not a big sample size, but it's big in the sense of the ones, and I, I won't take names here because they're, they're, I mean, for obvious reasons, but the fact that they're listening, they're tuning in, they're liking it, it gives us an outlet to go and consume something which we are not able to do in our own line of work. And I can say there's really no website that I enjoy going to anymore uh, for news. Um, I like stuff like what, uh, what Sid B does, what uh, Subhash used to do on the cricket couch, a lot of YouTubers now, you know, um, they're out there and I get, I get asked now and then to come and as per my schedule, I do try and go because it just, it's just something new for me. I know that whoever I'm speaking to, and I'm going to include you, you as well, you don't come from, like, let's say we're not in the same line of work, but the passion which you have for sports, any sport, you know, um, that has, that has moved you to take out time from your prime, from your prime vocation and get up at different hours like you're doing now for me. So thank you very much to just have a conversation about something which um, one thing, two things, three things, which we both have a common uh, passion for, but also because you feel like this discussion needs to be put out um, for a wider audience. And in this time, we've spoken about, you know, 140 characters and diminishing rates of, of concentration. The fact that we can have a 15-minute conversation, um, and whether it's heard by five or 5,000, I, I frankly don't even look at that. I look at the fact that in this maddening times, I can have a conversation with a complete stranger um, and feel at home, air my mind, have you air your mind, have you asked me questions which I don't get asked a lot. I think that's fascinating. Where, who do we give the credit to? I mean, of course, your knowledge, uh, whatever little experience I've gained, um, your confidence, my confidence, the confidence afforded to us both by the digital space. But I think a lot of established journalists, um, some like the names which you mentioned, who, who've been on your show, they do enjoy speaking to you and Sidvi and others because they don't get the chance to ask those questions themselves now because of various reasons and because they don't get to hear such questions. Um, so full power to you and all the others doing this. Um, and may, may your tribe grow, man. Yeah, and I'll also do, uh, because, you know, when we are fans, like uh, when I started this podcast, it's called, it was called Tennis with an Accent. I even told Sharda, I was just coming all guns blazing. Oh, I'm a fan. I don't have a career in this. I'm going to speak what glorified media guys don't. But slowly when I met with few people, I realized one, of course, I'm not going to make money in this because I don't do this full time and it's too late in the game. I wish I could have worked for the ATP when I was in my 20s. But I realized quickly that if people are not saying something, you know, it's not because they are not smart enough. That's how the game has changed. They're like complications. You know, it was very easy to uh, write something of nasty two lines about not naming a journalist. Oh, this guy is a sellout. But now you understand, you know, like there's people trying to do a career. The game demands have changed. And not it's not right. everyone who can say, okay, I'm not going to dance to this uh, drum. I'm going to sit out. No, you know, it's real life. So I, I've quickly realized, I never made my guests uncomfortable. I've quickly realized that, you know, whatever, whatever is unsaid, it's unsaid for a reason. So that brings us to the next question, you know, like when you were talking about the Crick Info being taken by Disney family and Disney sport, Disney star Disney and all that stuff. So India is like, you know, like Amit Verma says in his podcast, the big gorilla of world cricket, you know. So mm -hmm. and BCCI kind of replicates many societies where, you know, there's not too much freedom to question the power. So you know, you are still in the cricket circles, you still write, you still do your YouTube thing and, you know, you appear on IPL coverage. So where is that uh, 
where is that editorial freedom set these days how carefully do you tread uh and how do you pick when to write when to not because and this is a larger question not for Jamie Alter this is like anyone who's in the business sure. who has a lot to say but right now you know you can't question how shastri treated a groundsman say in 2015 you know uh, at the one khede or wherever that happened against the series in south africa one example that came to my right. mind but how do you right. question when someone says it's a new india or how do you you question so and so because in the past that's what the journalists were supposed to do but now i totally understand what has happened you know the stakeholders have mixed up uh, the conflict is larger than anyone to see it's just like sure. it's all over like pollution in the sky so so how do you tackle this and how does the industry tackle this how does the industry tackle i think there 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 are very few people who uh, who can still write these things and uh, without taking names there are people who've been around from the print era they have a certain um a certain level of experience and they frankly don't give a damn what people say but i know of people who have who have said things um who have written things which have not gone down well with very very senior players and uh, they've been singled out and uh, some people have even had their accreditation revoked for tournaments and and overseas uh overseas tours which i think is frankly just pathetic um you don't have to agree with 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 what a season journalist writes or says but you have no right to uh, to get in the way of their earning uh, a living but i think from these experiences what we see is that then people become very very wary of 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 even being of being critical so i'm i'm still somewhat positive because i know there are people who still write uh write stuff and ask ask tough questions and i'm glad to see that their uh, their stakeholders still allow them to um but that said there are not enough like like you also said right it is not not enough going around as it was before because of the blurred lines and the stakeholders are now are now so big uh personally speaking if i'm very glad that i got out of the mainstream media media business 2 years ago had i still been with uh, with the times of india or a network 18 or a z i obviously could not have been able to ask and write the questions that that i do if i'm writing in in my own space um i've actually been very very open um of late uh on the youtube space um when i've been uh, when i've been called on be it akash chopra's youtube channel or saurabh pants or york media various places where i go because i realize that yeah, after a certain point you just need to stop caring when i'm an independent person not not necessarily looking looking to get uh, a big tour or to go to the next world world cup or to get accreditation i can i can say what what i want to so there have been times when i have said something and someone i know has happened to watch that clip yaar yeah tune ye kaise bol diya because i'm mentally i'm free right i'm i'm not part of the rat race anymore i'm doing other things um so a huge weight has been lifted off off my shoulders so personally speaking i i don't mind saying if uh, if uh, virat kohli has misread a pitch or misread a condition or made a wrong call because i'm not answerable to any hr or any ceo you know so i'm very very happy that i'm in this space right now sure again a generic question since i'm comfortable now with you and i think uh, so hmm. in the 2018 series when shastri and kohli mocked uh, monga because you know monga is doing a job right so that's the part i think that turned me really off fine a writer hmm. is there sometime you know if, if he's writing about my favorite player I'm not talking about the fans. Fans are entitled to get ah, mad, ah, ah, but uh, ah, overall, I think this relation is different, right? Even film stars or even 
uh, athletes media is an essential component right of course the game has changed because of uh, social media I, you know if i am a virat kohli or if i am a you know uh, novak djokovic i can tweet and connect to millions you know with no no middle middle person but uh, right. you know this is also the new equation you know how they mocked a journalist and monga didn't really care you know i talked to him in the podcast but overall what kind of message does it send if enough message were already sent that we didn't see but this was one ugly incident i think and i hope like the fans listening to this don't get mad i'm not like uh, you know anti bcci to that extent but that behavior you know was something that kind of set the tone yeah look and this is this is not a case in uh, in isolation this has happened this has happened uh, well well before that incident also in 18 and in 15 and in 14 i mean there's just too many examples of and uh, i think it's a it's a shifting culture not just where india stands as a cricketing superpower in bci also um, many ways in where india as a nation also stands it's okay to now suddenly uh, say things and uh, and and bring someone down call it herd mentality call it whatever you want to call it i just go back to sake what i was saying what i was saying earlier you don't have to agree with what someone has written or said or tweeted but you don't have the right to get in the way of their professional career graph right so when i say that um, a senior journalist accreditation has has been revoked that this has happened right and that is unfair i think the i think in in the broader picture and i know monga very very well the monga case was still rather small as compared to what is what happened to other people but again that does not make it make it right and this would have been unheard of in the times of in of a ganguly as captain or or uh, or a dhoni as captain or anyone it has to do with this virat kohli time where where when you put yourself out there as someone who won't take anything from anyone it's all great to shape a team of world beaters but when you bring it into a place like a press conference you know, i just think it it just leaves a bad taste um and there's been enough during the virat kohli era where we've seen the sheer brazen ar- arrogance spill over from the field into places like um like nets and uh, and media interactions i'm i'm not for at all no i think you make an interesting point about uh, and i would even say it's not about kohli i think kohli is a product of the times yeah he's probably this alpha personality that kind of fits the bill and takes this whole dimension to a different level but i think the question like i think we both can agree or the response is larger than kohli and it's the times so in the current times a lot of leakage you know coming out of uh, you know this and this happened with the you know no sources to be named this is very reminiscent mm-hmm. of the ganguly chapel dravidiers and you know it's very much similar like the the change room is speaking but no names are coming so yep, as a reporter yep. you know when you read a report like this what is the first uh, okay part of the industry what is your first uh, instinct is it true or is it gossip when you hear that and secondly uh, you know were you ever approach did you ever break a story where the source is not to be revealed and do the source reach out in this case because that's very fascinating for us why all this is coming you know every week there's a new story yeah so in my in my experience um because i've i've gained that knowledge of of uh, of working with people and seeing things i know now that based on uh, based on which media outlet has broken it where where the where the source has come from because you pick something like the bcci there's basically two two to three people max whose job it is to get these things out and uh, and you know that they will they will give uh, 50% of the news to xyz people 
and the other 50% will go to xyz people from the other side so i now know again this just comes from this is comes from from experience and knowing where it is i know that there's nothing false you can sprinkle a bit of extra spice on it but uh, there there there's no smoke without fire so 99.9% of what you read is actually happened you just have to realize ke who's leaking it to which to which um to which news outlet uh going back to like like you mentioned right with the uh, the chapel gangli era while it was not that long ago when you when you when you count the year it does seem like a different prehistoric era um just because of how fast the digital boom has happened um back then there would have still even been something like a certain etiquette to leaking news nowadays it can be leaked through through uh through four words typed in hash uh on whatsapp and then those four words that in hash then become a 450 word story um and i think that's where the danger lies and when you decide how much you want to sprinkle um but when i see things happening i and i do know um i do know uh, even very recently of certain players um getting in touch with someone say yeah can you just tweak this angle um it's nothing new it's something which has been happening for 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 decades um so i understand that uh going back to the question you asked has it happened to me no i've i've never actually had to break anything that big in the only story i broke was in the 2018 asia cup uh kohli was away on leave rohit was leading uh pandya and someone got injured and jadeja and someone got called up i had been tipped off to this happening by someone uh near the team environment and i'd done that but again that was such a mild case that there was no ever need for anyone to call me back and say yaar tumne ye kya kiya so i've been very fortunate uh in my reporting days that i've never had to do anything which puts me in a in an uncomfortable spot okay so let's wrap this up and last two questions are indian cricket so let's talk about the sure. ipl and the importance right i mean everybody knows uh, there's nothing new here it's a it's the biggest powerful league with the most talented players uh you know and and it sets tone for like india it should set tone for india's success in at least the t20 game if not the odi right, game because right. you know people are used different uh, formats so right. going forward right, with this world cup coming you know it's already started actually the qualifying stages so it's a larger yep. question uh, i am of the view that uh, you know if india doesn't say reach the final in this championship mm. Uh, mm. or the world cup next year i think that should be considered a failure because you know the stakes are high you have the best pool of talent and if you can't really put out the best combination if you can't really put out the best squad then someone right. has to be accountable gone are the days when india makes the qualifiers in the 50 over world cup we are happy or we lost to magrah led or ponting led australia with magrah and it's not a bad result and so and so right now india is the cream some of my friends say t20 is a very dynamic game anyone can win but still i think the ipl pool and the kind of talent we have and the kind of you know uh you know depth india has how do you see yep. you know india should be judged in the coming world cups what is the benchmark it's actually been very very fascinating because despite all the criticism that the ipl uh, ipl has gotten down the years of the last 13 odd years it has definitely led to a much in fact the strongest indian bench of all time it has led to the greatest pace assembly any indian team has ever had and the depth but it is not translated into into successful uh t20 championships india won india won the world t20 before the ipl was was around and since then they have reached the semi finals um so it's it's not happened since then yes i know the team won the 2011 world cup but that had very very little to do with the ipl because that team was uh, that team had enough superstars in it who had learned 
uh, their craft and, and build their confidence in the pre-T20 era. Since the IPLs came around, India have not won, uh, have not won um, a T20 World Cup. Um, they reached the 16 semifinals and 19 semifinals, which in itself is, is great, but um, there is definitely a lack of an ICC trophy uh, for a long time. The good thing is that the test team has become so good that long gone are the days when an Indian team would uh, rock up overseas and expect to be beaten. This team, uh, largely because of the confidence gained from the IPL, can now go to Australia and win back-to-back series. This was even even as recent as eight, nine months ago when India were battling at the GABA and uh, Rishabh Pant was going all guns blazing and uh, Washington Sundar was hooking fat comments on one foot and sending the world into raptures on, on social media. I was like, no, no, they're And my wife's like, they need 18 runs. No, no, I said they're going to lose. So we were, we were weaned on this constant, um, constant drama of, of Indian teams losing overseas. And I firmly believe that the IPL has had a huge part to do with this because the players are now rubbing shoulders with so many of these overseas players. And just the sheer confidence needed to succeed in the IPL had 100% um, led into players being more confident. But at the end of the, end of the day, it is not translated in India winning a T20 title. So if India do not win this T20 World Cup, it, it, will, it should be marked out as a disaster. There's no reason why you should not win this. Um, and coming to that World Cup, which is going to be a home World Cup uh, two years from now, India should at the very least reach the final of that as well. And if they don't, I would also put that down as a huge failure of the system. Do you feel there's a room in the same 11 for Rohit and Kohli? A lot of my uh, friends who are IPL experts or T20 experts, they think they play the same role, but then the slowness of the pitches, you could argue it's going to be a 150, 160 type of total kind of World Cup. So again, mm. it's a bold question, but I'm sure you've been asked, asked this many times. Uh, Look, I mean, you have to, it's a, it's a very good question. Are you, are you picking 11 based on current form uh, or based on reputation? The answer is reputation. And uh, uh, Rohit Sharma definitely has a reputation, but the fact is that he could not score a run in the UAE league and you, uh, uh, the UAE leg of the IPL. And you have people like Rutunaj, Gerquard, and even Benkitesh Ayer, who made batting look so blooming easy. Um, so why why shouldn't someone like a Rutunaj be opening right now? The answer is because he, did, he is uncapped at the India level. Uh, Virat, look, Virat's problem has been the same over the last, what, almost two years now. He's getting runs, but he's not getting the runs that we've been accustomed to sheerly, uh, sheer because of the... Um, of the insane level of batting that he set. Right now, if you were to ask me, should Rohit and, and Virat be batting at number one, two, three in the same 11? I would say no. But are they going to bat? Of course they will, because it's Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli we're talking about. All right, so let's recap this with, uh, finish this with Rahul Dravid. You know, he's rumored to take India's head coach job after Ravi Shastri is a front runner. And like you said, these most of these rumors will turn true. So what kind of uh, a transition do you expect? Because Shastri... Kumble, then Shastri, you know, Indian team has scaled definitely, you know, big heights in, in the test cricket. Dravid has done his work in the background of the NCA. A lot of these guys who will be playing under Virat Kohli have had some commitment or some connection with Rahul Dravid, either at a junior camp or NCA or India's A-toes. So what does he bring and what do you expect 
because they would also, if narrative goes that Dravid has turned this job down after what had happened to Kumble, he cited reasons like he wants to spend time with his young family, but then he was very involved, you know, at the India A-level fortunes. So what do you expect? I mean, this is this is like a perfect combination. When Sidvi was on my podcast a few months ago, he said this is Dravid's chance whenever he becomes coach to win as a World Cup as a coach because, you know, he was not part of the team in 2011. And then we all know what happened in 2007. So how do you see this uh, appointment when it's finalized? Uh, you know, coming up and how can it shape and elevate Indian cricket if it can any further? I have no doubt that the Dravid will will be the next coach. Um, and look, there's there's he has the pedigree as a player, as someone who's respected. He's done very very well with the under nineteen team and the A team and the and the and the NCA. So he's ticked every box to be there. It all boils down to how how he he gets along with Virat Kohli, right? Um, there's there's very little that he needs to do in terms of technical expertise with with this with this with this current team. I hope that in whatever little time he spends with the test team, that he gets uh, Pujara and Rahane sorted between the ears, because clearly whatever's gone wrong with them as as test batsmen in the last two two odd years is not because of any technical problem. It's just because of a lack of confidence or the wrong message. So I think whatever change he could bring will only be positive. And it'll be just be about getting the mental thing sorted out. Are the right are the right messages being sent? Is there undue pressure being applied? Um, and I think look, Shashi's been around for what seven years. He and Bharat Arun. Um, that's a long time in uh, in professional sports. So I think um, Shashi and Bharat Arun have achieved a lot. India has grown as a test team, but everything has an expiry date. And you need some fresh views in there. I think Dravid is the perfect person to bring it. Um, I think I think he he's a far better man manager and coach than Anil Anil Kumble is. If you need further proof, look at Kings Eleven Punjab. I mean, clearly uh, the captain and the coach are not on the same page there. Um, and uh, I think a lot of uh, KL Rahul's underperforming probably has to do with the way that Anil Kumble is as a coach. So I think it's a very very good move that they brought on Rahul Dravid, and uh, it's just a matter of time before he he comes in. And the few problems we see with the team should be ironed out uh, by Raul Dravid. All right. So thanks for the wonderful insights. I kind of agree with a lot of things that you said and I learned a lot. And I kept you a good 12, 13 minutes over. But again, that's the extent of the oh, conversation. I, I was expecting, I was expecting like Shastri would say fireworks and you delivered more than I expected. All right, Jamie, uh, thank you very much. I'll plug in, you know, some of your YouTube channels in the show notes. Uh, I hope I can host you again. I hope I left a decent impression so you can trust me again on this forum. Uh, I can speak for the listeners here because, you know, they've been giving me good feedback. I think this is another episode they'll enjoy fully. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Sagar. I've, I've had an utter blast and it's, we never met. This is our, our first time speaking, but, but it feels like we do have a lot in common. So keep doing what, what you do. I'm going to go check out all the podcasts you mentioned that I've that I've missed and uh, whenever you need me, let's get in touch. I'll be there.